this is David Dearman. I'm the pastor at Memphis Tabernacle, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope that this message inspires you and builds your faith. I hope that it gives you fresh insight and strength to see God move in your life. Enjoy the message. I'm going to read to you out of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, then we're going to read together out of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. But let's read this. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. It says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 24. I'd like for us to all read this together, these three verses, 24, 25, and 26. Ready? Let's read together. Ready? Read. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. Lord, I pray today in the name of Jesus that as we open up your word, as we study about fighting spiritual battles, though the enemy would hate for us to understand this subject because it's against him, I pray that you would open up our eyes to see things the way that you see things. Would you pray this with me? Help me to see things the way that you see things according to your word. In Jesus' name, and we all said amen. Amen. We've been in a series called Fight Club, and it's talking about spiritual warfare. We're all in a spiritual battle, whether we know it or not. And we've been studying about our spiritual authority and about our spiritual weapons and about uh, who we are in the Lord and how, how the fight is on our side. That's what we've spent the last, I guess, four weeks on is about our side. Someone said, why do you spend all this side on our side? I thought the fight was about the enemy. Because I think right away, people always jump when they're talking about spiritual warfare. They always jump and just start talking about the devil right away. But why have we, we been talking about us? Because if you, if you don't know you, <laughs> then you'll lose to yourself before you ever fight the enemy. If you've ever played sports, you know that you can lose to yourself before you ever get out on the field, right? You get out there and you've lost the battle before you don't even know who the opponent is and you've already lost because you get out there and you don't know you. So it's important that you know who you are. You know your weapons. You know your authority. You know your abilities. You know your weaknesses. But today, we're going to be talking about knowing your enemy. I'm telling you, you don't want to miss this today. Even if you're not a note taker, today you'll want to write down a few things. I'm telling you, you'll want to write down at least the scriptures and at least the main points. Today we're going to talk about knowing your enemy. In the New Testament, the believer's life is compared to over and over to a soldier. It's compared to a farmer and it's compared to an athlete over and over to a soldier, to an athlete and to a farmer. Why? Because all three of these have to prepare. All three of these have objectives and all three of these have obstacles. And so if you can understand in all three of these, you'd never get, you'd never be in a sport and just say, well, I'm just going to get out there and just kind of go for it wins the game. Well, it's not about the game. You don't win games by showing up to games. You win games in practices. 
You, you don't win games by just showing up on time. You win games by preparation ahead of time. Good to see you. By showing up ahead of time and preparing ahead of time. That's when you win games, right? So he talks about a soldier, an athlete, and farmers. They have to prepare. They have an objective, and they have obstacles. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, he says, don't run to run, run to win. See, I, I used to live in the Los Angeles area and they had the Los Angeles Marathon. And I know out here they have Memphis, you know, Marathon all the time. I, I don't, or every year, I, I don't remember meeting a person that's just, I don't, maybe you have, who's ever said, I'm gonna go win the marathon this year. Most of them said, I'm gonna go run in the marathon. Do you know what I mean? Most of them said, I'm gonna run the marathon. I, I don't remember someone saying, I'm gonna go win the marathon this year. Why? Because running in the marathon and winning the marathon is two different people. The person who's going to run in the marathon says, I'm going to prepare to like get through it. And the person who's going to win it is the person who like says, I'm going to go to sleep at this time. I'm going to wake up at this time. I'm going to eat this. I'm going to drink this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to hang out with these people. I'm going to do, I mean, their whole life is different. But the Bible says that the way that we ought to live is don't run to run, run to win. Don't fight to fight, fight to win. Amen. Don't fight spiritually just to, just to say, well, I guess I just want to get through this life so I can get to heaven. No, fight not to lose a battle to the devil. Somebody say amen. He says, everyone who competes for the prize is temperate or disciplined in all things, verse 25. And verse 26 says, therefore I run thus, and he gives two things. He says, the person that runs or the person that competes for the prize does two things. Number one, not with uncertainty. In other words, you have a plan and you know where, you know, you know where you're going, you have a strategy. And number two, not as one who beats the air, not shadow boxing, you know, hoo, 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 hoo. what is he saying? You know your enemy. So the person that competes for the prize has a plan, and knows their enemy, has a plan, and knows their enemy. If you want to be a person that beats the devil, you have to have a plan, and you have to know your enemy. Those two things. Otherwise, you'll get in there, and your relationship with the devil will be hit and miss. You have to have a plan, and you have to know the enemy. Anyone who knows that's been in sports understands what game film is. Game film. You have an opponent that you're going to come up, uh, that you're going to uh, come against on the weekend or come up in a couple of days, and what do you do? You pull up their game film when they've fought or came against other people, and you want to see their offense, and you want to see their defense, and you want to see their strengths, and you want to see their weaknesses and their holes, and what their main play is, and what, their, what, what is kind of their main weapon, and their, or their move, or the thing they do, and their players, and the this, and the that, and you study them so that when you face them, you can, you can counterattack, right? You, you understand them. Well, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. So today, we need to understand and talk about our enemy, not as one who beats the air. It's important for us to know who we're fighting. So here's what I want you to know. If it's your first time to church, we don't talk about Satan every week. But today, listen, here's what, you can write this down. Who is Satan? Who is Satan? Well, originally, Satan is called Lucifer. Before his expulsion and his fall from heaven, his name is Lucifer. 
His name was Satan after his expulsion and after his fall. Um, this was before Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. The fall, his fall from heaven was before Adam and Eve, okay? In Genesis chapter one, verses one and two, I'm gonna read this to you. Pay attention to this because you may know this or you may not know this or you may know some of this or this may fill in some gaps for you. It says in Genesis chapter one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of, of the waters. Now, some Bible scholars believe that millions of years elapsed between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. In other words, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then there was millions of years that happened. And then the earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. There's a lot of people who believe that. Um, others believe that there could have been an original earthly kingdom before the creation of Genesis 1. The evil spirits that are here on the earth now, which we know as demons, they could have been part of that original pre-Adamic, pre-Adamic just meaning Adam, Adam and Eve on the earth. They could have been part of that pre-Adamic kingdom. Many scholars agree that even before the flood, the flood of Noah, some kind of pre-Adamic kingdom existed. That's why there are many archaeological discoveries, dinosaurs, mammoths, who once lived on the earth. There's a lot of you know, Christians who look at that and say, oh no, that's, that, that, that's not real. That's not real because that shows that there's no creation. No, that doesn't show that there's no creation. We know that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's what the Bible says. We know we don't believe in evolution as they teach it. No, we believe what the Bible says. Amen? But sometimes there are, there are things that fill it in that you say, it, it, you know, how dinosaurs, if I, if I believe in dinosaurs, then I don't believe in creation. No, 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 that's not, that's not always true. Sometimes there are gaps and things that we don't understand how it can all, maybe, it's, maybe there's a lot of things that are true that we didn't know are true. We just don't know how they all kind of fit together. Does that make sense? Okay. So there are many archaeological discoveries that show that dinosaurs and mammoths, ma mammoths once lived. Well, where did they come from? When did they live? At what time did they live? Well, maybe it was from a different kind of creation that existed before Adam. After God created the heavens, you know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and there was some type of gap, or before Genesis chapter 1, there was some type of pre-Adamic creation. Okay, now who is Lucifer? Who is Satan? In the book of Isaiah chapter 14, now you'll just want to write down your notes, Isaiah 14. Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 12 through 14. It says this, how are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How are you cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations? For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into the heavens. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation of the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high God. Now, who was uh, speaking? It's speaking of Lucifer. How do we know? Because it says Lucifer here. Okay. Okay, so it's speaking of Lucifer, and we see that Lucifer had some type of authority in here. See, I think sometimes we want to, people want to study and talk about all the things they don't know. Let's not talk about what we don't know. Why don't we come back and find out what the Bible says about what we do know, okay? So let's go back to what we do know. Here's what we do know. He's talking about Lucifer. Uh, 
Lucifer, he had some type of authority and he had some type of throne. Uh, in verse 13, it says, I will exalt my throne above the stars. So his throne must have been below the stars, right? Uh, his throne must have been below the stars and it could have included some type of realm that was, or maybe some type of domain or dominion. Maybe it could have included on the earth. Maybe he had some type of dominion on the earth. Maybe he ruled a kingdom here on the earth before Adam. And maybe the same type of prehistoric cannibals were here at the same time. The Bible doesn't say. Maybe the evil spirits that we know on earth as demons, maybe those were the fallen spirits that were there at the time. And maybe they were here. We don't know. We don't have chapter and verse for that. But we do see some type of hints in the scripture of some things. We do know that there are evil spirits that are here today, but where did they come from? Well, in the book of Revelation, chapter 12, verse 4, it says this. You know, you, you hear these sayings, and this is where I want to fill in the gaps. You hear these sayings where it says, Satan was cast out of heaven, and a third of his angels were cast out. I want to fill in these gaps so that we understand where that says that in the Bible. Okay, he, uh, Revelation, chapter 12, and verse 4, it says, His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven, a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth and the dragon stood before the women who the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born now then down in verse 9 it says so the great dragon was cast out that serpent of old called the devil and satan who deceives the whole world he was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him so we know that evil spirits or demons are fallen angels they're fallen angels we do know also that man, you know, like mankind, was not part of the pre-Adamic creation. In other words, there wasn't man before Adam and Eve. Because it says in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45, it says, And so it was written that the first man, Adam, became a living being. So we know that the very first man was Adam. So there was some type of, there was some type of, creation that could have existed before Adam, but it wasn't man. And we don't see dogmatically all, the, all of the facts in the Bible. We don't see all of that in the Bible. But I believe, and I, and I think you believe, that God told us what we do need to know. Amen? But you can see maybe what could have occurred or happened. The devil and demons are fallen beings because the Bible says they are. They have fallen from whatever state they once occupied in Revelation, we just read that in Revelation 12, 4, and 9. So where did Satan come from originally? Well, God did not make Satan. People will say, um, if God is good, then why did he make Satan? Because Satan is evil. No, God made Lucifer. Everything that God made was good. We see in Genesis when he'd make things, he'd say it was good, it was good. And then we see over in the book of James chapter 1, verse 17, that it says that, uh, that when God makes something, it's all good. So when God made Lucifer, he didn't make Satan in the state that he's in now. God didn't make Satan as he is today because God made everything that, that is good. In the book of Ezekiel chapter 28 and verse 12, I'm just going to read this to you. Ezekiel 12, 28, verse 12, it says, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, you were the seal of perfection. Again, we're talking about Lucifer who became Satan or the devil, 
You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardius, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes were prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You were... You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within, uh, within, and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. So there's a few things that I just want to point out about this verse. God did not create Lucifer as we know him now. After his expulsion and fall from heaven, he became the devil. He became Satan. God created Lucifer perfect in his ways. We see that in verse 15. He created him perfect. He was created full of wisdom. He was created perfect in beauty. We see that in verse 12. He had access to God. It said Lucifer had access to God. He was on the holy mountain of God, it says in verse 14. Uh, this is interesting. There was something to do with music with Lucifer. I know that people, you know, will say he was the worship leader of heaven. He may have been. I don't know. It doesn't say he was the worship leader in heaven, but there was something to do with music, it says here. Something, uh, it says in verse 13, the workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. It seems like there were timbrels and pipes that were built into him. There was something about music in him. And I find it uh, there's something with Lucifer that had to do with music. Maybe he was heaven's chief musician. Maybe before his expulsion and fall from heaven. Notice how music plays such a big part in the plan, in the program of Satan's plan on this earth. The right kind of music prepares you to yield also to the spirit of God. And the wrong kind of music prepares you to yield to the spirit of lust and sex and the spirit of the world. Right? But we see in verse 15 that iniquity was found in Lucifer. So what was Lucifer's sin? Well, if we look in uh, the verse 17 and 18 of Ezekiel 28, it says, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you down to the ground. I laid you before kings that, you might, that they might gaze at you. You defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities, by the iniquity of your trading. Therefore, I brought fire from your midst it devoured you and I turned you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all who saw you. Lucifer, what was his sin? Well, Lucifer's heart was lifted up because of pride because of his great beauty. It also said the abundance of his tradings. He wanted to be like God, to ascend into heaven and to usurp God's authority. He must, he must have been created as a free moral agent with a free will of his own. There was five I wills that we see of Lucifer. Five I wills, and then there was five I wills of God responding. I want to to point this out to you. There's five I wills that we see in the book of Isaiah, chapter 14, verse 13. It says, for you have said in your heart, I want you to notice what Lucifer said. You have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars. I will sit on the mountain of the congregation on the farthest side of the north. North. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will ultimately be like the most high God. 
What was Lucifer's ultimate agenda? To be like God. What did he ultimately tempt Eve with? He said, you'll, you'll be like God knowing good and evil. But then we read God's response, God's five I wills. Look over in the book of Ezekiel chapter 28. If you look in verse 16, it says, by the abundance of your tradings, you became filled with violence. By the way, you know, the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. It says, by the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within. Just a side note. And, uh, and you sinned, therefore, notice what he said. He said, this is what God said I did. This is the God's I wills or God's response. He said, therefore, I cast you as a profane thing. There's one thing he did. As a profane thing out of the mountain of God. And I destroyed you. There's number two, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Verse 17, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. So, number three, I cast you down to the ground. Number four, I laid you before kings that you may gaze at, that they may gaze at you. You defiled by the sanctuaries, by the multitude of your iniquities, by the iniquity of your trading. Therefore, I brought fire from your midst. It devoured you. And number five, I turned you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all who saw you. That's what uh, God thinks about Satan's threats. You want to tell me what you want to do? <laughs> I'll turn you into ashes. <laughs> Jesus describes Satan's fall. Remember in the book of Luke chapter 10, I've quoted it a couple of times, or I've just, maybe I haven't quoted it, but I've mentioned it a couple of times. In Luke chapter 10, verse 17, it says that the 70 returned with joy after Jesus sent them out. And they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Let me come back to that. He said, even the uh, demons are subject to us in your name. And remember Jesus' response? He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now, uh, when he said that, there's, there's two verses I want to mention to you that back up Jesus' statement. One's from Isaiah, one's from Ezekiel. The one in Isaiah is Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. He said, how are you fallen from heaven? I saw Satan fall like lightning. How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How are you cut down to the ground, you who weaken nations? You want to know what God thinks about Satan and how big and bad he is? He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning. Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 16. I cast you as a profane thing to the mountain of God. I cast you to the ground. Now, Satan's name reveals his nature and his character. Satan's name. You know, when someone says someone's a liar or someone's a thief or someone's a champion or someone's uh, strength or strong, your name tells who you are both for good and for evil. If we look in the Garden of Eden, there's just a few things that describe the, uh, the nature of Satan. If you look at Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, now the serpent. Well, that's one thing. He's a, you look at someone, you go, you snake, you serpent, <laughs> you know. The serpent was more cunning, crafty, you crafty. That's, you know, there's some descriptions than any beast of the field. Later on, God told, or later on, Eve told God in verse 13, Genesis 3, 13, that the serpent deceived me. There's a description. He's a deceiver. God's response in verse 14, he said, you are cursed and on your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust. You talk about some descriptions about Satan and about his state. Deceiver. 
crafty, cursed. On your belly you shall go. His names reveal his nature, his character, his realms of authority on the earth. There's a lot of names. I could sit here and, you know, I could name a lot of different names, but here's just a few. One is adversary. Can you say the word adversary? Satan is not your friend. He's not your party buddy. I hear people joke around, I like to party with the devil. Bro, you're going to lose. You don't want to party with the devil. He's your adversary. It says in uh, 1 Peter 5.8, your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking who he may tear up, devour. He's a thief. Say thief. John 10.10, Jesus said the thief doesn't come to seal, but to seal, kill, and destroy. You don't want to be best friends with a thief. What does a thief do? You don't trust your wallet sitting out on the counter with a thief there. Why? He's going to take, take, take from you. He's a murderer and a liar. Remember uh, John 8, 44, Jesus said, you, he's talking about scribes and Pharisees, are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning. He is a liar and the father of it. He's called a murderer and a liar. He is, in Revelation, called the accuser of the brethren. You want to know who's accusing you and beating you up? It's the devil. He's the accuser of the brethren. It says in uh, Revelation 12, 10, the accuser of the brethren who accused them before God night and day has been cast down. He's a deceiver, it says in Revelation 12, 9. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. He's an angel of light. What does that mean? It means he doesn't come with horns dressed in red like a Halloween costume. No, he comes Sometimes speaking prophetically, sometimes speaking and saying, oh, sometimes speaking in tongues, sometimes speaking as a man or woman of God, sometimes speaking as an encourager, trying to tell you and butter you up and lead you astray as an angel of light. Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says. The ruler of this world... John 12, 31, also, 12, uh, also uh, 14, John 14, 30, and John 16, 8, and 11. It says, now is the, the judgment of this world, now the ruler of this world will be cast out. The ruler of this world. He is ruling men and women all over this earth, leading them astray, guiding them, directing to them, directing them, speaking to them, leading them down the wrong path. He's called the prince of the power of the air. It says in Ephesians 2.2, the prince of the power of the air in which you all once walked as the sons of disobedience. Notice, disobedience, trying to lead people astray. He's called the God of this age. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, who the God of this age, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. Why do you talk to people about Jesus and they'll argue with you and won't listen to you? Because the God of this age, Satan, has blinded, has put blinders over their eyes. So what do you have to do? You have to, in the spirit, you have to speak words that those blinders will come off in Jesus' name. See, if people would just understand that Satan is the God of this age, it would clear up a lot of confusion. Because these questions that go around, people ask, well, if God's a good God, then why does evil exist? And we try to answer, well, 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 well
One person said, if God is the one making all of the decisions on the earth, then he sure does have things in a mess. And I agree with them. That's true. But God isn't the one making all the decisions on the earth. I said, God's not the one making all the decisions on the earth. Ultimately, ultimately, we understand, ultimately, God's in control. But I can tell you, if God was the one making all the decisions on the earth, God would have every person saved. Because the Bible says that God wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. But are they going to be? No. Because God gives people free will choice. He's not the one making all the, all, every single decision on the earth. God made man a free moral agent with a free will. 1 John 5.19 says that this whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. God's not the wicked one. It says the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Well, if God's such a good God, why, why is there evil in the world? Because God's not making the decisions in the world. The devil is. Mankind is. People aren't serving God. It says, in, we just read it in, in, in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, that Satan is the God of this world and he's blinded the eyes of people. God doesn't have this world in a mess. Sin has this world in a mess. Come on, somebody. God doesn't have this world in a mess. Sin has this world in a mess. The rejection of God has this world in a mess. See, I want to remind you that authority, spiritual authority was given to man. And so when Satan works, he works through man. He works through man. That's why he has to blind man's eyes. See, if, 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 if Satan was in control, he wouldn't have to blind man. He'd just say, just back out of the way, I'm in control. He has to blind man's eyes to work through the authority of man. Ephesians, uh, or um, so Satan works through man's authority. That's why he's blinded the eyes of people and he works through deception. I want to... I want to tell you something that I believe is really going to help every single person in this room. It really helped me. What are Satan's tactics? Because Satan has certain tactics that he does. I'm going to stop talking about Satan and I want to talk about his tactics before we close here today. Tactics. But I want you to write these down because I think it's really, really, really going to help you. In the book of Ephesians, we read it, chapter 6, verse 11. I'm going to give you three points on this. 6, 11, it says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. I was listening to a powerful man of God from Sri Lanka, who I know personally, his name is Dr. Leslie Kegel. And I was listening, uh, there's a book also by Rick Renner. He's a minister over in Russia. And uh, they were giving some points on this and I jotted down a few things. Uh, and there's also some, you know, some other things, but, um, but, but I really got some insight on this. He says, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You know that word wiles is the Greek word methodia. Methodia. It's where we get the word methods. He says that we may be able to stand against the methods of the devil. Satan has a method to get you bound. Satan doesn't just haphazard, haphazardly get you bound. There's a strategy. There's a way he does it. There's a way that he gets control and gains control over people. There's a, there's a method that you may be able to stand against the methods of the devil. There's a strategy. There's a way to get us into bondage and under his control. Number one is this. I'm going to give you three things. Number one is this through thoughts. 
It's through our thoughts. Just write down the word thoughts. When our thoughts are not controlled by the Holy Spirit, our thoughts will be open. They become open doors, sort of like a glass that has nothing in it. And what happens is our minds become empty and open, and Satan introduces a new thought into our minds. That's why I encourage every person every day to read the word of God. Why? Because if you don't fill your heart up with, you don't fill your mind up with the word of God, Satan will fill it up with a thought. And listen, it's not just that thought. He's got the thought in, and the thought is like a hook in the, in the, in the fish. It's like the hook that's there, and you may not feel it, but when he wants to pull it, he'll pull it. That's why it's important to keep your heart and your mind filled up with the word of God. Our minds are open, and and when our minds are open and empty, Satan will introduce a new thought. And those thoughts usually stay with us until we dismiss them. If we tolerate those thoughts, those thoughts will begin to control us. They end up tormenting us. They end up tempting us. Once he has control of our minds, he begins to play mind games with us. He gets our thoughts scattered where we're not thinking straight anymore. We're not thinking right anymore. Our minds go all over the place. And number two is mind games. Starts with a thought, and then he gets into mind games. It says in 2 Corinthians, we read it earlier, chapter 2, verse 11, and I want to point out this Greek word too. 2 Corinthians, chapter 2, verse 11, lest Satan should take advantage over us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. I never knew this before, but recently in studying this, I understood this. The word devices in Greek is the word noema, N-O-E-M-A. It means literally mind games. It's a mental perception or an evil purpose. Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his mind games. See, it starts with a thought, and it gets into a mind game. Through your thought life, Satan takes control over a person. Well, Satan can't take control over me if you'll allow the thought in, and if you don't cast it out. And if eventually when he wants to pull that hook, he begins to play mind games with you. So you open up your mind and he puts a thought in there and he uses that thought like a hook to control you. And once he's taking control, he plays mind games with you. Sometimes it's about sex. You just can't get it off your mind. Man, I'm a Christian. And I love the Lord. I want to serve God. Why can't I shake that thought? Sometimes it's about drugs. I've been free from that for a while. I'm free from that. I'm done with that. But these mind games, sometimes it's about alcohol. Sometimes it's about frustration over something. I find myself getting angry again. What is it? Why am I snapping again? Sometimes it's loneliness. All by myself. I'll always be this way. Sometimes it's suicidal thoughts. I'm going to take some pills and end it all. 
Where does that come from? You think it just comes from your mind? No, it's not your mind. It's not your mind thinking about it at all. It's that you kept your mind open and there was a thought that, that, that started in there and then Satan started playing mind games with you. And on your lonely moments, he's pulling that hook. He begins to feed your imagination until you get weaker and weaker spiritually. I'm not even gonna go to church. I'm not even gonna turn on the word. I'm not even gonna read. And I just don't, I'm just not up to it today. You just, it's not that you don't, you're against the Lord. You just, you're just not up to it. And little by little, you become weaker and weaker. And what happens? The more mind games you allow the enemy to play on you, the weaker you get. Satan controls you more and more. Your strength to resist temptation. It just gets weaker and weaker. And you start doing things that aren't you. Anybody ever been there? That's just not you. That's not me. And you're so ashamed so you don't tell anybody. I think I could beat this. I think I could get rid of this. This, that word, that word is used six times in the New Testament. And you know every time it's used with this? Let me, just, let me just quickly read what those six times. He says all the devices of the devil. In 2 Corinthians 3.14, he uses the same word, mind games. He says, but their minds were blinded. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, it says, whose minds the God of this world is blinded. Mind games. In uh, 2 Corinthians 10.5, it says, casting down arguments and every high thing, bringing every thought, mind games, into captivity, into captivity. Philippians 4, 7, it says, and the peace of God which passes will guard your hearts and minds. And they'll guard all those things, the minds in Christ Jesus. And then the last one is in 2 Corinthians eleven three. It says, but I fear lest somehow the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness so your minds, mind games, may be corrupted through the simplicity that's in Christ. See, Satan gets that hook in there, gets that thought in there, but then he starts playing mind games. And that's what number three is. It's deception. He gets you to believe something. It's not just playing with you. He gets you to believe something. 2 Corinthians 11.3, Satan's trying to get us, trying to take us away from Christ through deception. There's a trap that he puts in there. You know, I remember reading in the Bait of Satan book, it said a trap there's two things a trap needs. It needs to be hidden and it needs to be baited. It needs to be hidden and it needs to be baited. It's something you don't see. It's a, it's a blind spot, but it's also something that's tasty. Satan begins to say something like, you're going to have a great time. You don't want to miss out on this one. You don't want to miss. It's going to make you relax. Drink that. Smoke that, feel that, hang out with them. You should have married them, not the person you're with. Could be false doctrine. Religion. Tell you one of the big things the enemy does in the church is offense. It's one of the biggest things I've seen. It's offense. People get offended and they feel justified. Well, that's my boy. I'm not going to let anybody come against my boy. No, no, no. 
not allowed to be, not allowed to have offense. You know what it is? It's a hook. Satan will pull that hook and bring you to hell. Can't have offense. Not allowed to. Why? Jesus has forgiven you from too much. Unforgiveness. See, Satan's fishing. And he's trying to catch you. He's trying to catch you with bait that you'll swim after. He's trying to catch you bait with bait that's tasty to you and that's hidden from you. And if you'll bite, he'll get you hooked. That's why, for me, I'm a musician and I've, and I've always loved music. I love music. That's why I have to really watch it with music. Because music is bait to me. It's hidden. Media is, is bait to me because it's hidden and it's tasty. But behind it, some things got inserted into my heart and I don't know why I'm struggling with something. Media, social media. I don't know why I'm struggling with something. Because it's tasty and it's hidden. Everybody does it. But all of a sudden, I don't know why I'm struggling with something. You know what I mean? See, this, this is the methods of thought, mind games, deception, reasoning, humanism, philosophy. You get caught in sin, bondage, addictions, and then what happens? You start getting sick. Your marriages start being on the rocks. You deal with shame. You go inward. I've watched too many people do it. I've watched too many families get broken up. You become sick. You start to go crazy. You start to get tormented. You start hearing voices. You start to get demonized. I've watched people. You start to get demonized. You start hearing voices. You wake up in the middle of the night hearing voices and you don't know what it is. It started with a thought. Went to mind games, went to deception. And you don't know what to do. Can I just encourage you today as we close? If you're in a situation, just personally, no one leave, please. We're about to leave. This is so important to the Lord. If you're in a situation... And even if you're embarrassed about it, would you go talk to a friend? Would you open up yourself? The embarrassment that you may feel, would you go open your heart up to somebody and just, I promise you, listen, I beg of you, nobody who really is a real person would judge you. At this church, I would tell people, you could come tell me anything and I wouldn't even give it a second thought. I feel like I've heard everything. The blood of Jesus has forgiven you from everything. And listen, if you're struggling with something, the best thing you could do is go to a brother, go to a sister, open up your heart and say, listen, Satan's got a hook in me. And I need to get it out because I don't want the, the enemy, the devil to take me out and take me down.
Would you bow your heads? Everybody in this room, bow. This is one of the most serious moments we've ever had in our church. Just open your heart. And if you need to repent of something, maybe something you've been just taking lightly, say, Lord, I repent of it today. I'm telling you, you can get sick, you can go crazy, you can become tormented. Say, Lord, I repent of it right now. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, say, Jesus, I repent of following my own path, my own way. And I want to follow you today. And I make Jesus the Lord of my life. In fact, church, if you can, I don't have you do this very often, but would you get on your knees? Would you just get on your knees right where you are? Would you just say, Lord, (laughs) if there's anything the enemy has been tormenting me with, a thought, mind games, deception, I repent of it right now. Come on, every person, I can't do it for you. And God, I pray right now that you would expose the lies of the enemy. I pray as the pastor of this church that you would expose the lies of the enemy over every person in this house, every person that's a part of this church right now. In Jesus' name, open our eyes to see the traps, the methods of Satan that would want to take down and take out the people of God. And Father, I pray for restoration of marriages. I pray for restoration of callings. I pray for restoration of purposes. God, I pray for those who are so shamed and who can't even lift up their head and remember who God's who you've called them to be. I pray, God, that you would restore unto them the joy of your salvation in Jesus' name. Renew. This week of Thanksgiving, renew, refresh us in Jesus' name. I just want to make sure everybody knows the Lord today. If you died today and, or if Jesus returned today and you're not sure that you'd go to heaven, <laughs> I just want to pray with you. I'm not going to ask you to come up. I'm not going to embarrass you or anything, but every head bowed, every eye closed today in this room. I want to make sure that everyone's a believer and I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. So every head bowed, every eye closed. If you just say, hey, today, I want to make a fresh commitment to Jesus Christ in my life today. Would you just lift up your hand? Let me see it. And I want to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to make a fresh commitment to Jesus Christ. Thank you. Today. I'm giving my life to Jesus Christ today.
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, church. Let's just call out to the Lord right now. Say, Jesus, we give our lives to you. Well, I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. And if you did, I'd like to ask you to subscribe to our show. That way, the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. God bless you, and I'll see you next time on the Memphis Tabernacle Podcast. Yeah.